Okay, so I know these DC films are divisive and everything, but at least we can all agree that Purple Lamborghini is the best pop song to come out of them so far. Right? Right? Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we're going to be talking about DC. Nothing but DC. After we had a big Marvel conversation last episode, talking about Thor Ragnarok. This week, we're swinging across the street to uh, to the other side of the comic book universe, to DC and Warner Brothers. In the lead up to Justice League's release, we're going to be talking about the uh, DC films. They've called, that's the thing. DC Extended Universe is technically not the official title for this franchise or so the studio has claimed so we've heard and they haven't really branded it a specific title we'll get more into that later but we're going to be talking about the dc films thus far um, and particularly getting into man of steel but before we get into all that i saw murder on the orient express this week that is of course the new film from director kenneth Branagh, who also stars as hercule poirot the famed detective from the Agatha Christie novel that the film is based on. It's been adapted a bunch of times for the big screen, most notably in the 70s with Albert Finney in that in that uh, lead role as the famous detective. And it features an ensemble cast of uh, Judi Dench, Michelle Pfeiffer, Daisy Ridley, Josh Gad, Johnny Depp, uh, uh, just a, a bunch of people. And, um, you know, going in, I didn't really have very much familiarity with the source material or the other film versions of the of the story um i knew you know it was a murder mystery somebody died on the train i even knew who it was um but uh i didn't really know what the big twist was or what the you know the big reveal was going to be so i pretty much went in cold and for the most part the film starts out and it's very it, it feels very classical it feels sort of like a throwback to uh, old hollywood in some ways and that um i think that tone really fit the this material i think that style um was was a wise choice for brana as director i think his performance is really a lot of fun he, you you kind of get a sense of his personal life but it doesn't really overwhelm um the matter at hand and he has uh, some light moments and he, he really demonstrates why he is the world famous detective that he is and you know looking for a break from from his criminal work and sort of stumbles onto this train with the motley group of individuals and of course a murder mystery happens right on the train as he's trying to you know take a holiday and the film is it's it's fine um i wasn't blown away by it i thought it was you know decent Decent entertainment, decent way to spend a couple hours, mostly because of Brana's performance and, and the uh, the style of the film, the direction and stuff. Uh, the cast is, of course, you know, solid. They're good with what they have to to work with. Most of them are very underdeveloped, and you don't really get a lot of uh, a lot of performance moments from them. Um, specifically, people like Judy Dench. I mean, they put a bunch of great actors in this movie, and most of them don't really have much to do. Um, I think Josh Gad probably had some of the more interesting moments from the film. Johnny Depp uh, has some, uh, you know, a couple really tense scenes, but for the most part, I felt like a lot of these actors were sort of above the material. The pace is very all over the place. It's a lot of it is him just interviewing people and trying to piece it together that way, and it isn't particularly compelling. That doesn't the film never really seems to ratchet up its momentum until it gets towards the end, and then just when you feel like it's starting to 
resolve itself, there there's another complication and it kind of continues on and on um, a little bit more. And the ultimate reveal to me was, I mean, for people that know the the story, you know what you're you know what you're getting, and you probably will walk out relatively satisfied by this. But uh, you know, the film these kinds of movies are all about engaging the audience. And the ultimate reveal as to uh, the culprit, I felt is sort of a cop-out in a lot of ways. Um, it's not one I saw coming, but it also wasn't one that that satisfied me. You're supposed to walk out of these kinds of films when the murderer is revealed and like, oh, oh, damn, that's what was going on. Instead, I was like, I, I had much more of a, oh, 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 okay, well, I guess, whatever. And uh, that's not exactly the reaction you want. So it's a good, it's a decent film for what it is. Unless you're like really into these kinds of movies, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't bother with it. It doesn't transcend its genre in any way. Um, you know, if you're a hardcore Kenneth Branagh fan, or you really like Agatha Christie, or, you know, whodunits are really your jam, then, um, you know, you might love this one. But for me, I was just kind of a three out of five, which is good, but not really that good. Uh, it's kind of, for me, I, I, I assign three when I'm kind of on the fence about a movie. And I was like, yeah, that, that was a movie. And, and you walk out and, you know, you spent your two hours and you don't necessarily regret it, but you're not, but you're also like, eh, well, I, well I, that's done now. What else can I do with my, my evening? And that's kind of how I felt about this movie. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, wasn't super impressive to me. Again, there's only so much you can do with that source material. If this is the story that he's working with, and this is what Agatha Christie's novel was, then, you know, I don't know how true it was to that book, but I'm assuming that the, at least the reveal was uh, right out of the pages. And that, to me, was kind of deflated a lot of, uh, most of the interest I had in the movie, and at a certain point I was just wanted it to be over. So that was Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, I'm not actually sure how it did at the box office this, week, this weekend. Um, probably not that great. I can't imagine it had that big of a turnout. Uh, especially with Thor Ragnarok still still killing it, and this kind of being the the film released in between Thor Ragnarok and Justice League, uh, or one of the at least one of the films, and um, so yeah, that's that that's my thoughts on that. Before we delve deep into DC land, I wanted to uh, you know share my my reaction to that film. So going in here, that sets us up for our discussion of the DC film slate thus far. Um, Previous episodes, we've talked about, actually Kai and I ta both talked about Wonder Woman, Suicide Squad, and Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. So if you're looking for really in-depth reviews for those films, the links to those episodes will be in the show notes below. Uh, and as far as this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit in a little bit later about kind of my general thoughts on the DC films slate or dc extended universe whatever we want to call it now but uh i'm not really going to get super in depth on those particular films since i've already talked about them however we are going to talk about man of steel kind of wrap up uh all of the reviews on the crooked table podcast for these dc movies i felt like a sense of of uh you know unfinished business with that and this seemed like as good an opportunity as any to go back to the beginning of the DC film, since Justice League is essentially the end of, we'll put in air quotes, the DC Extended Universe Phase 1. Uh, if the Avengers was the end of Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then it stands to reason that Justice League would sort of be the culmination of sorts 
for this particular set of films. Uh, that Man of Steel introduced us to the world. BVS sort of fleshed it out. Uh, Wonder Woman and Suicide Squad were sort of their own things. And then this is kind of the uh, third part of this initial Superman trilogy, sort of. So that that uh, being said, let's move into our review of Man of Steel. How do you find someone who has spent a lifetime covering his tracks? For some, he was a guardian angel. For others, a ghost who never quite fit in. You will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. It just feels wrong to cut off that Hans Zimmer score like that. But if I let it go, we'll just sit here and end up listening to the whole soundtrack. So, of course, for those of you who haven't heard reviews on this podcast before, we're going to talk about the hype, the story, the cast, the production, and finally the verdict. So, Man of Steel. So, going into this one with the hype, um, this, is, of course, came out in 2013, the summer of 2013, to be more exact. And this was a, a critical juncture for the Warner Brothers DC Comics uh, line. This is the year after The Avengers came out, the year after Christopher Nolan wrapped up his Dark Knight trilogy. This is seven years after Superman Returns came out. It was sort of an homage to the Christopher Reeve Superman films and kind of underperformed at the box office, Was got middling reviews. Um, and it's, it's not that great a film, t- to be fair. Uh, it, it is kind of deserving of a lot of the, I guess, apathy to that movie. Uh, Brandon Routh is fine in it, but the, the story itself is all over the place, and I think... A, a little too reverent to uh, to the original Donner films that it didn't really contribute too much um, of its own that was at least satisfying. Um, but that's that's another podcast for another day. We're talking about Man of Steel. So there was a lot of chatter about this possibly being DC's, um, you know, the launching the launch pad for their own cinematic universe, sort of their Iron Man, as it were. And, you know, there was some discussion that Green Lantern was going to be that two years earlier, and we all know how that turned out. So, uh, you know, the hype for Man of Steel was really about how this is kind of a make-or-break moment for, um, for DC Comics and their hopes for a shared universe. And me personally, I was looking forward to it because I was already a fan of Zack Snyder um, for the most part. I... I I still haven't seen the the owl movie, the legends of the the guard, whatever that the legend guardians, whatever it is, something with legends and guardians, and uh, I haven't seen that. Sucker Punch is not good, admittedly, uh, visually great, but I am a big fan of the Dawn of the Dead remake that he did. I'm a moderate fan of 300, and I really love Watchmen, so I have to find a reason to talk about Watchmen on here at some point. So him him being involved and knowing that he can handle um, comic book material really well, the fact that Christopher Nolan was on board as a producer. And the fact that, uh, you know, uh, David Goyer was behind it, and I know he was also involved in Batman Begins. It had very, uh, the trailer has a, has a lot, as you heard a little bit, has a lot of uh, flashbacks and allusions to, uh, you know, his story 
prior to becoming Superman, but it, it delivered in a in a very non-linear way and felt very much uh, Nolan-y in that way. So going into it, I was hopeful that this was going to be a really strong Superman movie. And, uh, you know, admittedly, the character has always been kind of hard to nail on screen. He has got these godlike powers and is essentially invincible, and this movie doesn't even bother bringing kryptonite into it. Oh, I should probably mention, I will delve into spoilers along this the way, but this movie's been out four years, so if you haven't seen it by now, that I you probably don't really care anymore at this point. Um, so, you know, something about Superman, because it's hard to maintain stakes with him, it, you, you never really feel like he's threatened. Uh, it has been very mixed bag as far as these movies. The first Christopher Reeve movie is, is really great. Uh, the second one is a mess, uh, like a, a mixed bag. The second one's a mixed bag. And the third and fourth are a mess. And Man of Steel had a lot of hope writing on it. So going into the story, how, well, what was the deal with this movie? Well, we already know that uh, he's, his planet blew up. He was sent away from it as a baby. He lands on Earth, found by the Kents, blah, 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 grows up in Kansas, and becomes Superman. However, with this one, I felt that the film brought a, a very unique spin to the origin story. This was story by David S. Goyer and Christopher Nolan, screenplay by David S. Goyer, who, you know, did the Blade, wrote the Blade movies, Batman Begins, I already said. And I think that it, it, it has all the elements that we're expecting, but it does it in a, in a different way. Um, you know, Krypton here isn't all about crystals. It's not this, you know, black room with people with white hair and and speaking very robotically, Kal-El. It's very Avatar-influenced uh, in a lot of ways. There's flying beasts, there's, a, like, bright colors, and I think that the reimagining of Krypton made it feel like a real world rather than a, a set in a studio where you just have Marlon Brando wearing a funny outfit. Uh, and I think that that was a strong start for this one. I think we spend about probably 20, 30 minutes on Krypton, so you actually get to know the um, uh, Kal-El and, and Lara and Zod and that dynamic, and they explore that uh, with a little bit of an environmental message, I'd say, but um, they explore that a little more than just, oh, here he is, boom, the planet blew up. You have the concepts of the Codex. You have the idea that Kryptonians are bred from birth with, with a specific purpose. And that plays into General Zod's, um, his motivation. And then you have the world engine. You have this idea about General Zod being so zealous for his, his, his home world that he's willing to destroy Earth to sort of repopulate Krypton there. And there's, there's a whole, there's, there's a really interesting kind of natural selection thing going on with that. Um, there are some missteps, of course. I think Pa Kent's death was really uh, mis, well, ill-conceived. I, I think it's kind of problem problematic in a lot of ways. It makes sense that he's trying to protect his son, and um, you know, doesn't want his son to reveal himself. But at the same time, it it does, it, it you know, suspension of disbelief. There are some logic gaps as far as you know Clark's ability to save his father and then um, continue, you know, continue to keep his secret. Uh, I do like all the uh, all the stuff with the tone that it is. Like I said, it is very Superman Begins in a way, cross cutting between him sort of uh, as a drifter, as an adult man, and then flashing back to his childhood to his father's death, to 
um, you know, his discovery of his alien origins. And I thought that that tone and that pacing kept the story moving along. Whereas if they had just gone narratively through this, this would have felt a lot more, a lot more similar to Superman the movie than it really should have. Uh, thanks to Nolan, I'd say, in large part. And I think thanks to him, it does feel grounded in the right places. But, you know, the, given the source material and given the, the, this character's nature, it is fantastical in all the right places as well. I think that the film gets a, a bad rap, honestly, in a lot of ways. A lot of people bulk this in there with BVS and, you know, which makes sense because it is a, BVS is the sequel to this. But in a lot of ways, I feel like Man of Steel nails its storyline and is a lot more focused than BVS is, I think. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it's accused. This movie is accused of being joyless. And I feel like the, uh, the flight scene where Superman flies in his uh, uniform for the first time is majestic as fuck and, and kind of inspiring in a lot of ways. And I think Hans Zimmer's score really helps that. I think the criticism with the destruction in Metropolis is, you know, warranted. Um, but at least, you know, wisely they addressed that in this in the next film and made that an integral part of the story. And I really also never, I, th I also feel like a lot of critics didn't quite resonate with the purpose and the meaning of Zod's death and the fact that Superman is forced to kill him and basically destroy the last remnant of his homeworld and choose one planet over the other and commit this unspeakable act. I mean... It's not like he just, you know, he had a million options at his disposal and he's just like, you know what? The easiest thing is just break his neck. You know, screw it. I ain't got time for this mess. Um, they do build up to that a lot. Zod is about to kill in, uh, innocent people. There's nothing that Superman can do to stop him. He's Zod repeatedly is saying, I will never stop. This was my one purpose was to just to protect Krypton and my people. And you took it away from me. I'm going to take out this vengeance on this planet forever. You're never going to be able to stop me. Is basically what he's saying right before Superman kills him. So it's not like Superman has an, an out there. And then his scream of his kind of scream of horror afterwards that of realizing what he's done and the the weight of that in that he, he essentially had to forsake Krypton in order to save Earth. He, he killed a Kryptonian, one of the only remaining ones, in order to save this, this family of Earthlings. And I think that says that that's basically a symbolic choice between Krypton and Earth. And he made his choice and he's now struggling and suffering with that and feeling the weight of his decision and everything that happened there. So I thought that, that was really captured in that moment. And I never really understood why people bitched so much, so much about Superman's decision in that uh, in that moment. Moving on to the cast, the story, like I said, I, I like for the most part has its issues, which we'll I'll mention a little bit more as we go along. Uh, talking about the cast, so Henry Cavill here, I thought was um, I wasn't really super familiar with him. I know he had a small smallish role in The Count of Monte Cristo in 2002, and I didn't know that until after this movie. I was like, hey, holy shit, that was the kid from The Count of Monte Cristo, just like 11 years earlier. Um, he's very, obviously very good looking and very in shape and very, uh, you know, um, takes a different approach to this character than Christopher Reeves. I think that's what sunk Brandon Routh's performance in Superman Returns and led him to like a little bit of a career detour before he found his way to Legends, to Legends of Tomorrow and such. I think Henry Cavill looks like Superman enough that it fits the part, but he doesn't 
he doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't come off that he's trying to do a, an impersonation of what's come before. It feels very much its own thing, and it feels um, very present. Like It feels like a present-day interpretation of this character. You can't have the super clean being like, oh, it's, uh, you know, I'm here for the, for the American way. You can't do that anymore. This is a more complicated time. Yes, Superman should be that, but he's not just going to emerge out of the ether as that. And I think that this film is really showing him struggling with the human side of him, of himself, as represented by the choice between Zod and that you know the family of, of people in the uh, whatever building that was. I forget. It's like a library or museum or something. And um, I think Cavill really brought it here. You know, he he emote when he emotes. Sometimes it works more than others. I feel like that scream after Zod's death was uh was very powerful and i think that that moment totally works and i'm gonna i'm gonna stand by that uh amy adams here is lois she's not quite as plucky as the versions of terry hatcher or erica durance um but i do think that they they modernize the character a lot in order to be uh the daily planet's top reporter you have to be sharp and and intelligent and um you know, you have to be kind of a badass and willing to force your way into places to get the story. And I think Amy Adams is such a great actress that she embodies that sort of self-assuredness uh, effortlessly. And I like the fact in this movie that they they do away with the whole Lois B working aside Clark and being like, oh, Clark is so great, but Superman, oh, there's totally different people, right? It's not at all in the glasses. And I think this was a smart way around that by having her sort of find out about Clark Kent before Superman is even a thing and they sidestep that whole uh, that whole suspension of disbelief where which has always been kind of ridiculous but I feel like more so now would undermine the fact that Lois Lane is supposed to be this highly respected reporter if she can't even figure out that these two people that she's in close contact with constantly are the same person I think they found a smart way around that by having their relationship not necessarily begin when they start working together at the Daily Planet uh, Michael Shannon is Zod. Like I said, he has a much greater motivation, that character. And Michael Shannon has that natural intensity. And yeah, he's hamming it up here, but he's playing a comic book villain and one who's a megalomaniac in a lot of ways. And and so every time he screams out, I will find him, I think uh, it fits the character. And uh, it fits that sort of big performance that we routinely get from villains. You could say for sure he's Zod is a much better villain than, uh, well... Uh, we'll get in uh, Lex Luthor. I have mixed feelings on. Um, he's a much better villain than a lot of these uh, other films, and I'm gonna say it. I think that in the for the most part, this uh, Michael well Michael Shannon's performance is definitely better than most Marvel villains in the cinematic universe. There, uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Diane Lane as Perry White and Martha Kent. <laughs> Can't even say Martha now without laughing. Uh, they're fine with what they have. Their their roles here are very utilitarian in a lot of ways. But to me, really, the VIPs of this movie are the Robin Hood dads. Russell Crowe has has some great stuff here. He makes Jor-El much more interesting than Marlon Brando's sort of monotone delivery in the original Richard Donner film. And I think Kevin Costner gets some of them. He's really the emotional heart of this film in a lot of ways. You have that scene where young Clark, uh, you know, he t tells him about his that they found him in the spaceship and all of that. 
And and uh, Clark says to him, "Can I just pretend that I'm still pretend that I'm your son?" And he's like, "You are my son." And like those those emotional heart to hearts where he's saying, "Should I not save people?" And he's like, "Well, maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know. You have to find your own way. You were brought to you were brought to us for a purpose. I have to believe that." All that stuff was great, and I love the fact that uh, even though his death scene, like I mentioned, I have issues with. I think that Kevin Costner really embodies the sort of down-home, like, earthiness that Jonathan Kent is supposed to represent. And Russell Crowe as Jor-El, like I mentioned, he has a lot of, of great stuff to do, even in, like, the, the towards the third act of the movie, kind of guiding Lois Lane. And it's a much more active role than just, oh, I'm in the first 20 minutes and I got killed. Um, and I think that was an interesting way to have him basically be, like, the embodiment of Jor-El guiding, like almost like a guidance system on that ship. I think that was all really cool, and I think the actors do a great job with it. And going into the production, the one of the things that really bugged me about this movie when I saw it in theaters in 2013 was the product placement. The IHOP is like smacking you upside the head, and there's a couple, I think there's a Sears or something. There's a couple other ones that are really obnoxious product placement, but, you know, Warner Brothers got to get paid, I guess. And... Um, more than that, this, the the third act of this film, as as is notor as it's notorious for being, is ridiculously heavy with CGI. I think that they overdid that quite a bit, and it set an unfortunate precedent for most of the DCEU or DC films, whatever. We'll get into that name in a second. Um, Slate, even Wonder Woman, which most critics really loved and most fans really loved, and was sort of a you know pop cultural phenomenon this year. Even that falls into that trap with the whole Ares battle towards the end. Uh, of course, you can't have a Superman movie without the religious symbolism. This one's still heavy on that. Not quite, I don't know, I don't think it's quite as obvious as um, as in Superman Returns, where he's literally falling to Earth in the, you know, messianic pose. But um, it's kind of hard to work, hard to argue that it does work with this material, the whole Superman as Jesus metaphor um, comes from us from the stars to save us all. I mean, it, it's it's kind of inherent in who this character is, and it's an easy access point for audiences. So I don't really slight this movie too much or Zack Snyder for going that route. As I mentioned, Zimmer's score, Hans Zimmer's score here is incredible, um, really powerful. Like I, I, playing that clip from the trailer, it was kind of, it was hard for me to find a place to cut it off because that music is. Uh, is very stirring, and I, I, you know, I would have loved to have left more in there, but we had to get down to business here. Um, I'm not sure how much of that that score, the Zimmer theme, is going to be carried over into Justice League. Some of it, I, I know Danny Elfman's did the score to that, um, but I really hope that they keep that main riff when eventually Superman comes back. Spoilers, I guess, for Justice League. Um, it's not quite as iconic as the John Williams one, of course, but you know, it, it, to me, it is a worthy successor in, in a more modern context. That very um, sh old old school, that feels like a very specific time in uh, cinema history, and this one is more complicated, very Inception-y, and... and uh, orchestral in the same way in orchestral but in a different way and i think it really fits this film and uh you know to me the man of steel theme is probably still the strongest one well it's up there with the wonder woman riff let's put it that way 
The visual effects here, of course, are mostly strong. Though, like I said, I think they did go for it a little too much in the third act. It's it's a lot of overkill just with the destruction. And I feel like the film is, what, a little over two hours? I think it's maybe 2.15 or something like that. And I think they could have easily... Oh, wow, two hours and 20 minutes. And I think it's... Uh, they could have easily cut maybe 10 minutes of some of the destruction. I think, you know, um, Zack Snyder's an action movie director at his core. He's not nearly as bombastic and lacking in uh, or hollow as someone like Michael Bay but I feel like in some instances and I think the Battle of Metropolis is probably an example of that he does fall into that that explosions more explosions trap a little bit here and uh, in BVS as well I think Goyer's screenplay as I mentioned has problems um, you know admittedly especially in certain moments like the, the Superman Lois Lane kiss where she's like, oh, they say it's all downhill from the first kiss. And he says, um, oh, I think that only counts when you're talking to, when you're, when you're referring to humans. And I was like, okay, that's a terrible line. It's a terribly written. And, uh, you know, other than that, I have a lot of issues with, as I said, certain elements of the story. It's overextended. It's kind of meandering a little bit. It's, it's definitely, the film is definitely too long. And, uh, you know, had it been trimmed down to a nice brisk two hours, I think it would have been an even more successful film. That being said, going into the verdict, still for me, Man of Steel is nearly the best Superman movie. Um, I put it behind Superman the movie just because there is a little too much indulgence going on here with the destruction of Metropolis. There's 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 some stuff that does, there's some character beats that don't quite work. Um there's, you know, it feels like it's trying to make the same points sometimes over and over. And I feel like you don't need all of that. I think it, it, it's, it, 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 somebody should have edited this down a little bit more and made it a much tighter film. And that's, in BBS, I feel like it has the opposite problem where there's, should have just removed subplots entirely or held them for other movies. But that's a different thing. I feel like Man of Steel is also nearly the best DC Extended Universe film. I'd put it right behind Wonder Woman, which I think is uh, is more successful as far as keeping the focus on um, as far as keeping the focus on Diana's story, and it, it doesn't it doesn't overextend things too long. It's it's roughly the same length, but I feel like it has more story to tell in some ways. And part of that could be because so much of the Superman origin we already know. Uh, it does reinvent a lot of the most, you know, I mean, this is, we're talking about the most well-known comic book origin story, this side of Gotham City. And it retains most of the key elements of that, but really modernizes the characters and hones in on Superman's evolution uh, in an interesting way. I mean, this is a movie where he doesn't start as the hero that we know and love. He doesn't even, like, it's not a linear progression. It's sort of back and forth until until a certain point and then it's kind of uh, about the necessity for him to reveal himself to the world and the the complications that arise when he does that well you know will people accept him blah 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 and bvs just extends that even further after the all the destruction during the fight with zod and all that um, i mean in this movie he only just starts the job at the daily planet in the final scene so i think it's an interesting way of of whereas 
most Superman origin stories would start out of, oh, we got a new report. I mean, even Superman the movie actually starts that way. It's one of the first scenes. After the whole Krypton, you get the Krypton prologue, and then it's, oh, Miss Lane, this is Clark Kent, new reporter of the Daily Planet, blah, blah, blah. And this movie is all about everything that happens before that point, before he decides, oh, I should get a job as a reporter so I can keep my, you know, keep my ear to the ground of what's happening so I can actually save more people that way. And it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting arc that Zack Snyder sets in motion here and hopefully one that'll pay off in Justice League. So that's my thoughts on Man of Steel. Now we're going to talk a little bit more into the DC films to date and, uh, you know, what we're looking forward to in the future. So as I said, Man of Steel for me was a very successful start to the DC Extended Universe and really, really energized Superman in a, in a way that he hadn't been in quite some time. I'd say probably since the Christopher Reeve days uh, have, you know, none of the other many incarnations of the character really resonated on such a grand scale as Christopher Reeve. So everybody was inevitably compared to him. But Man of Steel was a great start. So that being said, I was really looking forward to BVS. And I think that film has a, a boatload of issues. I could probably write a feature. In fact, I would like to write a feature either for CrookedTable.com or elsewhere about all the things that I do like about that movie. Um, one of the ones is that it, it's basically the entire film is about the fallout to the Battle of Metropolis. It's about so Superman balancing the the good that he does versus the harm that he inflicts versus you know being accepted by by Earth and uh, the U.S. government in particular and his accountability there. It's it, in a, while, a lot of ways has a lot of similarities to Civil War in that it's about these heroes and these you know with these extraordinary powers and what they can what they can or can't do. And, you know, what they, how they should or shouldn't use those powers in a real-world context. I think BVS tries to lend some, uh, some gravitas to that and doesn't do it, to, in, to me, as well as Civil War does in just having those heroes sit around a table and discuss, well, this isn't right because, you know, what if we want to go here and they won't let us and blah, blah, blah. And, and presenting uh, two opposing viewpoints. I feel like BVS is half a Batman movie and half... Uh, Man of Steel sequel and it doesn't really balance the two very well instead you kind of mash Batman in with uh, you know Superman's sort of moral dilemma and I think in, in doing so in the film in taking a Superman film and essentially turning it into a Batman film where it even opens and closes with Batman I think you uh, really doing it a service to Batman in a lot of ways in that his portrayal, uh, Ben Affleck's portrayal here, even though I love Batman, as you guys know, and I think Affleck was was really great in the role, he comes off like we don't really quite, we don't really quite uh, get on his side in this film, and we understand why he feels the way he does, and that whole sequence um, with the concluding events in in Man of Steel from Bruce Wayne's perspective is really strong. That's the thing about BVS. I feel very, I have like something, I can tell you just as many things that I like about it as that I don't like about it. And it, for me, that's why it sits, at, like I said, with Murder on the Orient Express, that's why it sits right at a three out of five because I, 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 there's a lot of things I appreciate and, there's, and then there's just, and then every time I, I come across a scene that I really like or a character moment that I really love or you know a performance or whatever, it cuts to Granny's peach tea, or it cuts to Martha, 
sitting up to save Martha or some one of those really kind of uh, insipid things about the movie that that just frustrates the shit out of me. Um, but it, it it tries to do too much too soon. I think as far as the DC films on the whole, I think BVS was where the executives there just basically put their foot down and like, no, we want fucking Justice League. We want our Avengers money. Make it happen now. Bring Batman in. Bring Wonder Woman in. Doomsday, blah, blah, blah. Just get through that shit. Make it happen. And it, and in that way, I feel like BV... You know how they were saying that Justice League was going to be two movies initially? I feel like BVS should have been two movies. I feel like you should have had Superman with his... Uh, the Man of Steel sequel. And um, then brought in Batman. Or even vice versa. Maybe Man of Steel should have been... You know, Man of Steel was a great start. Then present maybe the Batman thing. Um, involve, you know, his side, you know, it's there's two years between Man of Steel and BVS. Have him sort of see, witness the thing in Man of Steel at the beginning and then have that kind of be lingering in the back of his mind for two years while he's dealing with Red Hood or whatever. And that could have been the Batman setting up the confrontation where Batman, where at the end of that film, he'll make a decision to pursue taking down Superman, and then when we start the big showdown between Batman and Superman, we're more invested in Batman's side of it. I think that would have been a much better way to do it, as opposed to just making Man of Steel and then, boom, BVS, you get five minutes with Bruce Wayne, you're like, see, because he doesn't trust him because of this. And I think that you didn't give us, the film doesn't give us enough time to marinate in that while showing how much else Batman has on his plate. That, to me, would have been a better way to do it. That being said, I uh, I really like, you know, it gave us Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. We all know that turned out wonderfully. And I, I'm going to I'm going to out myself here. I've said it on the podcast before. Uh, I actually really thought Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor performance had a lot of fun moments to it. It's not the performance that I would have wanted for that character. I prefer I was hoping that Mark Strong or John Hamm or somebody older, more in, in line with Batman's age, um and, you know, older than Superman, because he's traditionally older than Superman, even in Smallville, um, would have played that. I like my Lex Luthor in a suit, like the Clancy Brown animated version of of Lex Luthor, and uh, sort of intimidating Superman that way. And this was an alternative take. I mean, this was trying to literally take the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg and have him play like a spoiled rich kid with a god complex and trying to prove a point about uh, you know all this religious bullshit and that that got really convoluted. I still want to see. I want it to be revealed that that's Lex Luthor Jr. and I would like Mark Strong or John Hamm or somebody like that because Mark Strong was so great as Sinestro. One of the only good things about Green Lantern, and uh, I would have loved to have seen him come into that, into this you know this franchise as Lex Luthor. I still want it to be revealed that Jesse Eisenberg is playing Lex Luthor Jr. and have his dad come in and be the be the Lex Luthor that we want to see. And maybe that will still happen because in a lot of ways, Man of Steel, BBS, and Justice League are the are are getting supposedly. This is what I think Zack Snyder or Goy or somebody said years ago, and and I've really been hope you know sticking to this that these three films present an arc that leads us to the Superman that is the symbol of hope and optimism and, uh, you know, that idealistic hero that we know Superman to be in, in the form of Christopher Reeve and Dean Cain and Tom Welling and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that being said, Lex Luthor, the real Lex Luthor, we could, if they want to play it this way and sort of retcon it, 
we could have not even met the real Lex Luthor because this Jesse Eisenberg could have just been his spoiled little shit son. And you can just sweep that away since people didn't react to it. That's that's my thoughts for, for Lex Luthor. Um, but on the whole, there's a lot of ideas and, and moments in BVS that I really like. There's a lot of cinematography and shots that really stick with me. I do think the Ultimate Edition is a vast improvement. Um, and I do think that like the ultimate cut of Watchmen, like another Zack Snyder thing, obviously. I feel like it plays better in a way as three hour-long episodes of like a, a mini-series. I, I mean, I've even watched BBS and there's there are sort of natural cut cut cutoff points within that, uh, the Ultimate Edition, that I think, um, you know, the first one being right at the end when Holly Hunter, whoever news people are talking about Superman and, you know, do we really need a Superman? And there's, it's the montage of him dragging the ship and saving the people on the roof and all that stuff. And I think that is like lead ends that on a big question mark thematically setting up, um, kind of the, the ongoing story with him and the explosion in the courthouse and all that. And then the other one, of course, being right around the fight night, man of steel or whatever. I forget day versus night, that whole thing. And then kind of teasing into, the uh, the Batman and Superman fight and the Doomsday just uh, the Doomsday versus the Trinity Wonder Woman and all of them um, that battle and the more action heavy conclusion of it all I think that those natural breaking points make BVS uh, Ultimate Edition at least a more satisfying uh, experience and I, you know if you have the Ultimate Edition of BVS on Blu-ray or DVD or you check it out you have, if you haven't seen it you definitely should see it. Um, I think it, it makes the film a little bit stronger and clarifies some of the issues that a lot of people had with it. Still not a perfect movie by any means. Uh, I, it's hard one for me to even defend as a good movie, honestly. But um, there are a lot of elements in there. It's very ambitious in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, while as, whereas the Marvel movies are routinely good uh to good to great i'd say they're most of the marvel movies are just good they're fun they're fine they're entertaining but they're not necessarily like oh my god that was amazing i don't know who came out of ant-man being like that was the best thing i've ever seen the, the marvel movies are usually three and a half sometimes four but mostly three and a half out of five um and then bvs still not as good as that but it, it does aim higher and it does have a more ambitious style to it and uh narrative and themes and it's trying to take on more even if it doesn't stick the landing quite as much um of course after bbs for some reason or another we got suicide squad and that movie i, I sort of you can listen to the podcast where kai and i talk about that again like i said there's also one for bbs and wonder woman um i i found suicide squad entertaining at the time despite the fact that it does feel very inconsequential in a lot of ways which you would think would free it up to be a better movie since it's not really it's tied to the shared universe but it's not as tied as bbs is like super linked to man of steel and justice league and uh basically it's the bridge between those two suicide squad has a lot of things that work for it and a lot of things that don't more th most things that don't i think some of the performances are are fun viola davis will smith margot robbie those in particular, Jared Leto is even more divisive and I think less successful than Jesse Eisenberg, in my opinion. And the storyline is sort of all over the place. Um, Suicide Squad, to me, is is very much a, a guilty pleasure. 
Uh, I own it on Blu-ray. I'm clearly a completist for these freaking movies. Uh, Marvel and DC. So, you know, I'm not picking sides. They both have insanely, insanely genius movies. And they both have insanely ridiculously shit movies. And I think uh, Suicide Squad is definitely more on the latter side of that. But it's, you know, I still enjoy it, even though it's not good. Um, It's, I don't know why. I think it's just the fact that there there's a movie that exists where killer croc is a big part of it and where captain boomerang is a character for some reason so i admire the fact that we're getting these characters come to life for the first time um and then you have you know a lot of fun random lines random moments but let's break it down margot robbie is um is the saving grace of that movie so it makes sense that they're going all in on her as Harley Quinn for either Gotham City's Sirens or the, the Joker and Harley Quinn movie or whatever the hell they're doing with her. They're definitely locking her down to a multi-picture deal, and I think that's a smart move. Uh, oh, I didn't even say in BVS about the cameos from the other Justice League members. Yeah, that's terrible and ridiculously shoehorned in. And uh, if you look at the Avengers and how well those characters were knitted together, and then you look at BVS where there's an email with little video clips with logos already for some reason uh it's it's horribly done um but suicide squad it does feel very much like and then let's throw this out it, it comes out of left field and it kind of has nothing to do with the development of the main part of this world which is of course batman superman and wonder woman and the justice league and it's essentially a curveball that comes out of nowhere and they basically trying to see how which characters people will respond to and surprise surprise harley quinn i could have told you that before the movie came out uh, so that's, doesn't really, there's not really ha- so much I have to say about Suicide Squad. Um, I just hope that with the sequel, I know they've talked about Black Adam potentially, uh, potentially being the villain there. I just hope that they, they take it up a notch and they find a filmmaker with the distinct vision and they let that filmmaker do their thing. Um, I think that what happened with Suicide Squad, David Ayer having one version of it and then, DC turning that film over to another company to edit it together. I think that was a big mistake. And the tonal jarring shifts in that movie um, basically did it no favors and undermined the experience quite a bit. So again, Suicide Squad, not not a good movie. Um, but um, I guess entertaining enough that I, I bought it for some reason. Basically because I'm, I'm, I'm very... Uh, anal retentive about I want to have all the ones from this franchise I mean I have all the Marvels including Ant-Man which I just kind of ragged on a minute ago Uh, but that takes us to Wonder Woman and that was a great movie I've talked about on the podcast I think what makes it what's the best thing about it is that it doesn't feel like it's connected to all these films as much as I like these shared universe projects I think that it's easy for movies to get bogged down in it you've seen that in Marvel and DC BVS is a great example of that. Avengers Age of Ultron is a great example of that. But when you take a single character and you let them have their story and you let the director do their thing and you don't interfere too much, you get great things like Wonder Woman or Logan or Thor Ragnarok. And I I think that studios are, thanks to those films and things like Deadpool, I think that the studios are starting to realize that you know, audiences are going to go see these regardless. But if you want to keep the longevity going... You just find a film filmmaker you trust, put together, put the work in on the script and let them let them, you know, trust them to tell the story in the, in the best way possible. And sometimes that'll work and sometimes that won't. But if, if you 
if the film feels cohesive enough and and uh, the vision is strong and you know that you work out before you start making the movie um you know you the results will speak for themselves and only perpetuate more audience goodwill and keep the franchise alive long term so wonder woman i i don't really have a whole lot to say about it because i feel like i just actually just watched it on blu-ray recently gal gadot is great the storyline is really strong the the fact that her superpower is essentially compassion and love and that's what this character is about i think is a beautiful notion and i i love the fact that that they found a way to uh, carve out a very specific niche for Wonder Woman in this mess of a cinematic universe that they've been trying to put together these last couple of years, especially, uh, I mean, it's really last year with uh, last year with BVS before Man of Steel is essentially just like Wonder Woman, a wholly a standalone, and it stands to reason that those two would be the best films in this franchise to date. So uh, Wonder Woman again felt like a felt feels very incon not inconsequential, but it it does feel like a separate entity to the uh, DC Extended Universe. So going forward with my expectations for Justice League. Uh, I really just want to see, like I said, I want to see Superman's arc paid off. I want to see him come back and become the, the character, that the, the, the idealized, iconic version of the character. And uh, I, I hope that they find ways to make... Uh, Cyborg and Aquaman compelling enough for them to have their own movies. I know that there's been talk about Cyborg getting his own movie. They announced it years ago when they b b said, these are the 10 movies we're making. And of course, that it seems like every other day we're hearing about a new movie that they're making. Um, I don't know if Cyborg is really strong enough of a character to carry his own movie, but I guess we'll find out how people react to Justice League and, and adjust accordingly or team him up with Flash in another movie. I know there's been talk about that. Um, and actually Flashpoint, the Flashpoint comic does involve to an extent a sort of alliance between Cyborg and, uh, and the Flash. I'm excited to see Ezra Miller's version of the character. I'm a big fan of Grant Gustin's, as I've said on the podcast before on the show on CW. So I'm hoping that he distinguishes his Barry Allen from that one in an interesting way. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what they do with Flash in his own film when we get to Flashpoint. And Jason Momoa is Aquaman. That's been a character that's been openly mocked on, I think, on Entourage uh, for a while. And, and is, you know, talks to Fish. They've done things on Family Guy and things like that about how he's, you know, he's uh, such a, a kind of a joke of a character now. And was basically yellow spandex back in the day. So I, I think that their take on the, like, kind of surfer guy, uh, you know, aesthetic for him is, is a wise choice. I think Jason Momoa has just the right attitude to sort of pull that off. And I'm excited to see the um, the ensemble here kind of play off each other. For early reviews have been mostly positive so far, and they have praised the dynamic between the cast members. And I think that's really the most important thing. Um, it's From what I've heard, the story and the villain and Steppenwolf have really been kind of a mess. And... Uh, you know, I think that's par for the course when it comes to these team movies often. In the Avengers, we had a great villain in Loki, but why was Loki a great villain? Because we knew him in Thor before that. That's why when it came to the Avengers, we had already had a connection to this guy. We already understood this guy. If you take Thor away and you just look at Loki in the Avengers, he doesn't have quite the same... He wouldn't have quite the same weight. We wouldn't... We wouldn't... I mean, we wouldn't... Uh, he wouldn't be the pinnacle of the MCU villains 
if it wasn't because of what they established in Thor. They they had an arc for him in Thor, in Avengers, and Thor the Dark Thor the Dark World, and then Thor Ragnarok that's really carried over between all those different films. And so they've kind of developed him with each release. And um, Steppenwolf, we didn't. He was in in he's in a, a moment in uh, the Ultimate Edition of BVS, and that is it pretty much. We don't. He's basically a an emissary of Darkseid, as far as I know. And, uh, you know, they're fighting the parademons or whatever, and who cares? That's It's not about that. It's That's just the MacGuffin. The, the Steppenwolf and the parademons and Darkseid's plan to conquer Earth, whatever. Are, all, the, all that crap is is the MacGuffin to get the team together. The Avengers, is are they fight their own army of faceless, you know, alien creatures or whatever. And uh, the, that's story. The story in the Avengers is not that interesting. Loki taking his army, want to come to Earth and, and rule shit. That's it. What makes it work are the actors, is the characters, is the chemistry between them. And that's what I'm hoping for Justice League to succeed in. If they nail that, if, if Ben Affleck brings it as, as Batman once again, if they balance the sort of spectacle and grandiose uh, vision of Zack Snyder with the um, the character beats and the... Uh, the ensemble storytelling that J- Joss Whedon has nailed so well, uh, since of course they brought him in on that project to kind of help direct the last bit of it, and uh, I think he also has a screenplay credit as well, as far as I can see on IMDb and stuff. Um, if they're able to blend those two together, I think that's the perfect marriage. As you know, longtime Zack Snyder fan, the storytelling stuff has never been his strong suit. It's more like it's more transferring the images to screen. And uh, and creating these really iconic moments and and shots and things like that, things like Watchmen. That's that film works not because it's an it's an amazing uh, screenplay, that story that was written, because that's very it's basically uh, the Alan Moore graphic novel just almost taken verbatim for the screen. What makes it work visually is the fact that Zack Snyder carries that. He has he has a way of executing a style. Um, and, and you know that it's it says a lot that his most of his film pretty much I think well actually almost all his films all his films that are based on or previous source material you know whether it's Dawn of the Dead or Three Hundred Watchmen or the you know the DC movies now they're all based on comic books or other films that came before and uh, he he knows how to sort of um, emulate that style and bring his own. Sp- his own unique spin to it. It's with things like Sucker Punch, the original stories that I feel like he really falters on. So bringing in someone that understands character and story like Joss Whedon and someone who can can make it look alike. Because let's break it down. Zack Snyder, as a, as a director, Zack Snyder is a much, much stronger visual storyteller than Joss Whedon. The Avengers is a great movie because of the writing, because of the characters, but it's not shot the the best. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have impressive cinematography. It's not... Blade Runner 2049, it's not, it's definitely not, uh, you know, The Dark Knight or um, even even Zack Snyder. Even BVS is an amazing looking movie compared to The Avengers just from like a cinematography standpoint. From from the way things are shot and the way it's presented and the colors and all that stuff. Those, Zack Snyder is, a, is, is better at that than Joss Whedon is. And so bringing those two together, I'm hoping will result in, in a really strong story for those these iconic characters, bringing them to the screen for the first time. And the fact that, you know, we've almost got this movie 
10, 15 years ago with Wolfgang Peter. Well, he, I know he was going to do uh, BVS with um, George Miller, I think, was going to do it. It's There's been a bunch of people that have been attached to Justice League movies over the years, and the fact that we're finally getting one is impressive in and of itself. That being said, I do think that the DC, the DC Films company should drop the whole DC Extended Universe thing that they don't really seem to like that much anyway, and just embrace the DC. Just call it, here you go, the DC either... Well, the DC Cinematic Multiverse, or take Cinematic out of it completely because it's very, it's too close to Marvel's uh, Cinematic Universe. Just call it the DC Multiverse. That's all you need because the, I mean, the toys are already branded DC Multiverse. That opens up you, the possibility for you to do a Justice League movie, a Wonder Woman 2, a Joker origin story if you really want to do that, even though I don't really think we sh you need to do that, but... Uh, you know, different versions of Batman, Flashpoint, blah, 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 and just jump around and take more of the X-Men approach where this is Logan. It's um, it's an X-Men movie, but it's technically a Western. Here's his Deadpool. It's an X-Men movie, but it's technically a comedy. This is New Mutants. It's an X-Men movie, but it's technically a horror movie. And don't feel so try and find that balance between it's all being it's all connected but not necessarily have it be so tightly woven i think calling it dc multiverse opens that up and it opens up the possibility for you to even tie in the tv shows at some point if you really want to have them cross over ever which they probably won't because marvel hasn't even done that and all their things are in one continuity but that way you can say, you know, the DC multiverse, this is Flash over here, Ezra Miller's Flash, this is Grant Gustin's Flash over here, and you can have those coexist without people being like, well, they're, they're in separate continuity. Well, no, they're all different timelines, they're all different uh, multiverses. This is Earth 2, whatever, this is our Earth 37, doesn't matter. And I think that's the way they should brand this going forward, because that way they can just tell the best stories possible. Make them connected if you want to make them connected. You can have one string that is that is connected, where it's Man of Steel, BBS, blah, blah, blah. But that way you don't feel the pressure of everything having to tie into each other. The way that, that Marvel has done that beautifully, and I love the way that Marvel's done that. And I think that that's Marvel's thing. And DC needs to not stop trying to chase Marvel's uh, storytelling approach and find their own. And I think the multiverse has always been their thing in the comic books. It's carrying, I mean, you see that on The Flash every week. You know, people hopping back and forth from different Earths all the time. And I think taking that same approach that's worked in the comics and bringing it over to uh, to the films, it only makes sense. DC likes to, you know, revamp, revamp, reintroduce things, restart timelines and all that stuff to have different alternate versions of different characters. And I think that that that's the smart way to do it. So... That's my two cents. Not that anybody at DC or Warner Brothers is listening to this podcast, but if you are, that's what you should do. Make it happen. That's all I have for now. I've rambled on quite enough about DC films. As you guys can tell, I'm very I'm very passionate about the DC characters. Um, mostly, you know, Bat Batman's always been my guy, but, uh, but I've always been a, a long-time fan of Superman. Growing up watching Lois and Clark, I've seen all of Smallville, the animated stuff. And um, now, you know, now with the Wonder Woman movie, Gal Gadot's portrayal there, actually the animated one from 2000, I think it's 2009, is a lot of fun as well. Um, and watching The Flash every week on the CW, reading the Flashpoint comic, which is great. And, oh, the, the Justice League Flashpoint Paradox animated film, that's, that's wonderful. A lot of the Justice League ones are really good, actually. Uh, Justice League War seems like it's mostly going to be 
kind of the same similar storyline slash approach to what this Justice League movie is doing with Darkseid and all that. So check that out if you want to see that um, that take on the Justice League's origin. And um, yeah, that's all I got for now. I had a lot to say about this. This was a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, especially, you know, since we give the Marvel side of things such heavy play on this podcast, I felt it's only fitting to uh, to finally wrap up my last DC Films review and, and touch base with Man of Steel before we get to Justice League. Kind of talk about where the... the um, where the series, the franchise started, where it's going now, what we ho- what I hope to see out of it, and all that. So I hope this was enjoyable for you guys to listen to. You can rate and review the Crooked Table podcast on iTunes if you'd be so kind. Also find us on Stitcher. You can find me, Robert Yannis Jr., on Twitter, at Crooked Table. We're also on Facebook and the other social medias. I've actually started posting more things on the uh, Crooked Table Facebook page than I used to. I have, it's been sort of, I've been sort of sporadic with posting things on there of course mostly you know movie news kind of sharing and be like oh this is interesting and uh in addition to you know our, our own content and that kind of thing just trying to keep you guys in the know and uh you know a lot of times those you never know which of those stories i'm going to end up mentioning on the podcast um you of course find more podcasts reviews videos and other movie related goodies over at crookedtable.com the next episode in case you haven't been able to tell by now we're going all in on justice league talk about Zack snyder's newest addition to the dc films multiverse which is what i want to call it but it's not official yet so i just have to keep my fingers crossed till then i've been rob we'll catch you around the table next week roll credits This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.